Just 12 months into her media career, Bianca Hunt is already making her mark. The 24-year-old co-host of Yokai Footy is a new, vibrant voice in an AFL media landscape still dominated by men. What's more, she's a proud Indigenous woman. From her career journey to the Black Lives Matter movement and the fight against racism, this is her story. Bianca, great to have you on the podcast. How are you? Are you coping okay with stage four lockdown in Melbourne? Oh, my gosh. Um, thank you for having me for one. <laughs> and two, I don't think I've gotten to get to know myself as much as I have in this period. So it's not a bad <laughs> thing. Um, but I've definitely been listening to my own thoughts a lot. <laughs> I don't think you're alone on that one. Well, at least we've had lots of time to catch up on Netflix and watch lots of shows, obviously the footy festival that's going on at the moment. But I have loved watching you on Yokai Footy this year. And for those who haven't checked it out, please do it. Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock on NITV or afl.com.au and the AFL app. It's fabulous. How did you get the job co-hosting the show? I only started my media career, give or take, a year ago. Um, funnily yep. enough. So my background in terms of like formal education, I did it in entertainment and business so that I could kind of have two like two areas that I could kind of go into, which weirdly enough kind of set me up for a career within media. I just probably didn't notice it as much. Um, and I dabbled within the, you know, space of going on to different kind of um, shows like The Drum and NITV's The Point and bits and pieces within media as more of a guest, um, so not really as a host or anything. And it progressed, you know, like after my one of my roles that I had um, as an executive leader straight out of school, uh, uni actually, that kind of pushed me into the industry a bit and it was a bit confronting at the start, to be honest. I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if I really want this sort of level of attention and um, everything that comes with having your opinion be on a platform. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then I after that sort of role, I ended up started working for um, SBS, which was really interesting, and it was just kind of an introduction into the space. Because of my background in business, I went in through their corporate affairs um, space, and almost instantly people were like, when are you going to start your media career? When are you going to get in front of the screen, blah, blah, blah. Um, And I was like, whoa, like, let's just calm down. Um, Let's just, you know, (laughs) let me see what it's like in the media industry first and see if I want to make that step to um, onto the screen. And throughout that time, I had some opportunities to trial um, some different opportunities, especially with NITV. And that was really interesting. So technically, I made my debut during NAIDOC week in 2019 um, as one of their co-hosts for their award ceremonies. And it was pretty cool experience um, and, you know, I didn't think it would progress as much as it did in such a short period of time, but it eventually got to a point where I had been asked through the AFL um, to audition for Yokai Footy. Um, so there was, I'm guessing, a number of women that were um, asked to come in and men uh, just to try out and see how we'd go. And so I was tested on, obviously, my footy knowledge uh, from a cultural perspective, what I could bring to the table as well, because this show wasn't just going to be a numbers game or a stats thing. It wasn't intended to be just like, you know, a typical footy show where it's everything's about uh, performance of a player necessarily. It was more of 
the holistic view of football altogether. And, you know, I've grown up in a very AFL-led um, family, even though I'm a Queenslander, um, well, you know, grew up in Murray country in Brisbane, uh, which obviously rugby league was the, the sport of choice. But my dad and my brother just were always, you know, at the footy fields and, and we just followed. So I started playing footy later in life as an adult, um, doubled in umpiring and junior uh, footy until women, until the girls weren't allowed to play. Um, and then, yeah, I've kind of found a bit more of a love for it as I've grown older and realised why it's so important. And it was just purely the fact that, like, you know, my brother would be out in a field, but our whole family would be on the sideline supporting him. And it became a point of conversation when you're at work. And then I found that when I started playing football and it was just knowing that you had a team of people that you could connect with um, that's what's really drawn me to AFL and then now being able to talk about it and seeing and learning the journeys of all of the players that we've been able to talk to and talk about uh, has been really fulfilling. So, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a loop. It started off in a business sense and then kind of found its way into, yeah, being able to talk about it now. So you've spoken a little bit about your love for footy and, and your family background in that. I'm interested to know more about how you got into having a kick and, and playing. I also started playing footy later in life as an adult, as a, a 29, 30-year-old, um, so I'm a little bit older than you. But um, it is good fun, isn't it, just to get out there and, and play a, a team sport and, and do something that you love? Oh, of course. Well, you know what's so funny? So what happened was when I was younger, so I'm the middle child, um, I have an older sister who's about seven years older than me and a younger brother who's about 19 months younger. And growing up with the middle like middle child syndrome, I always thought <laughs> I wasn't getting the attention, you know. <laughs> of course. Um, and yes, and especially having a younger brother, um, which I think my dad was kind of daring to have a, a younger, to have a boy um, at some point, even though he had two great daughters. Um, you could just tell there's a difference because he did want to pass that on as well. And yeah, for so long growing up, all I saw was, you know, my brother got that uh, opportunity because I grew up very, and I still am very passionate about um, performing arts. And yep. yeah, that was kind of my direction for a while. And I just used to think, why are we investing so much time and energy and money into this boy and blah, blah, blah. And it was, I mean, it came to the realisation that my brother had an incredible talent um, to play football. And the more I realised that it wasn't just about him, it was about our family supporting him. And, you know, his dream was to get to um, an elite stage. Um, and, yeah, like there was an opportunity for when I was 11 – and this is a secret and I hope they don't um, pull me up on it later. But back in Brizzy, my brother was playing under 10s um, for a team and I was 11. Um, but my dad became the coach and my mum was the manager. So it was literally all of us being a part of this team. And my sister was umpiring at the time <laughs> for the same club. And it was so weird because I was allowed to pass because I was so little. They didn't see me as a threat as being like bigger and bulkier than, than the kids I was working with <laughs> that I was playing on the team with. So I got to play under 10s as an 11-year-old. Um, and I can arguably say I was stronger than the boys and I gave them a great run for their money. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of where it started. And then the year after, my dad kind of did say, 
you know, it's a bit rough. Um, you know, you could play under 12s as a girl with the boys, but after that you didn't yeah. have any other pathways. Um, and I'm guessing that was similar for you around that time. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, so I, I stopped and then I started umpiring a little while later um, from Oz Kicks to under 10s. Um, and had some fun, you know, uh, throughout that time and seeing all these kids grow through football. And then, yeah, it wasn't until I got into my first or second year of uni, I think it was my second year of uni, and my dad and my brother were playing for the same footy club. And so I, like, dad was just like, why don't you just go have a run? And I was a bit of a bigger girl and, um, you know, I had stopped playing sport ages ago and it was just a good thing to go out and have a run. And then literally I'd gone out, had a run, and they were like, you're going to play with us this weekend? Um, even though my intention was literally to just get fit, I was putting my boots <laughs> on that weekend and playing football. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so it literally started then and I played for, you know, the team I was playing. We got to the grand final that year. Um, there was not the greatest team dynamics, so I was very hesitant to come back. Um, luckily those team dynamics shifted and I was able Excellent. to come into a very fun, loving team. Yes, exactly. And, you know, we the second year we weren't as strong as we were in the first year um, and it was just good to reconnect with the girls. Third year, had a pretty decent season and then I moved to Sydney. Uh, so, again, my intention was not to play football when I moved to Sydney, uh, but I would justify if I was playing at a high level and – that's what I did. You know, I played for the University of Sydney for two years, um, got to a level where I was playing with, you know, some of the girls that kick around in um, GWS at the moment as well, which is really cool um, and just different, you know. And I found that love for footy that you've got teammates, you're all supporting each other, you're all learning, you're all developing, um, but it was more than just footy. And I think that it was just footy that brought us together. And I think that was kind of, the reason why I started to really enjoy AFL. What kind of player were you? You know what's so funny? Um, when I first started, I was a pocket, uh, forward pocket, which, yep. you know, I'm five foot flat. Like there's nothing there's nothing tall about me. Um, yeah, look, I'm not taller yet, than many people, but I'm just taller than you. <laughs> no, <laughs> just taller, yeah. And just. I think that was always... But that's the thing, though, is we always, when you're when you're a smaller player, you'll automatically kind of go to your forwards or your centres. And um, I just wasn't fit enough to be a centre. So I had a good kick on me. I was, you know, good at getting to the ball, but I just wasn't, I didn't have the stamina to be a centre. Um, and then second and third year, I actually was a back player. I was in the fullback line, funnily enough. Um, <laughs> we lost our great fullback and then I ended up coming in. Um and that I literally had played my best games when I started playing in, in backs. Um, wow. And then when I moved to Sydney, <laughs> I actually got put into forwards. And then by the end of my seasons, I was a wing. So I became a utility uh, quite yeah, fast. You are the player. definition of a utility. <laughs> yeah, literally, I would kind of get there and I'm like, how on earth did I play across the whole field? But, um, yeah, I mean, easily able to get pushed over, I'm not going to lie, but that's only if they could catch up to me. So that was a good thing. <laughs> I would get to the ball a lot faster, So, but I would get hit hard, very hard, um, and literally thrown around. Um, so it was, yeah, probably 
probably people th- would have thought I was a bit of a risk at times because I was a bit smaller, but I was always the girl with the headgear, headgear on um, that could jump pretty decent without <laughs> people thinking I could <laughs> and a pretty solid, accurate kick. So, yeah, wasn't I wasn't that bad. It wasn't one of the, the best, best, but, I mean, if I was playing at a uh, prem, prem level for Sydney, I could say I was doing pretty decent at the time. Small and tough. That's all I heard out of that. Now, when the AFLW came in, like what was that like for you? I mean, AFLW comes in and it just changes everything for young girls, for women, and as you say, you know some of the GWS players as well. I mean, what was that like for you, the introduction of the AFLW and how has it changed things? It changed everything. Like at that point, I was like, wow, there's actually – a genuine career within this space and granted they're not getting paid the amount that they would for a um you know during a, a fullest like a longer season and all of that sort of stuff but I could see little girls having that hope and fight and passion to be able to get in a full pathway to get to an elite level within something that they loved and I think that was something I wish I did have when I was younger because I might have taking it a little bit more seriously. I don't know, but I remember because I think that came through the at the end of the first year I played footy and it was just like, oh, my gosh, we were all so excited. We were like, we could, you know, if we work really hard, we'll be able to go into this space and, and try out. And a few of the girls at my old football team, uh, team in Brisbane had tried out and it was just a really good sort of feeling to know that, there's potential for you to achieve what you wanted to achieve at that time. And I think a lot of people subconsciously felt that they wanted to be in a space like um, an AFLW team, but just didn't see that as a pathway. So never really thought about it. And um, yeah, it was just like, I remember going to the first lots of the Brisbane Lions games and cause I'm an avid Brisbane Lions fan. And um, <laughs> some of my greatest memories of when I was little was seeing the back-to-back um, premierships and everything coming from them and I used to get a lot for supporting Brisbane Lions they'd be like oh why are you supporting the Lions like they're not the greatest team and stuff like this and um, that was only within the last couple of years right um, and I'm like well you know yep. they were great one day they'll be great again <laughs> and then the women's team came through and they were you know literally undefeated it was very unfortunate that they had lost their grand final and we were all very mm. quite sad about it because my team were Lions as well and yeah like it just felt it just felt so good and not only that but um it was really cool because one of the girls that got scouted for the season that happened earlier this year she was the number one pick for the Lions but when I first saw her she was only 13 years old and I was like man she's gonna be literally the number one pick for the Lions if she wants to be it and um, I cannot wait to see what happens. And the good thing about her is she could literally go from Auskick all the way to women's and to AFLW without a gap in between. She didn't have to stop, yeah. you know. She could just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And now she's a Brisbane Lion. And that, to me, because, you know, we played footy together and it was just awesome to see because I feel like there was a sense of pride no matter what. If you'd played footy with the girls that made it, um, if you hadn't, you just felt, yeah, there was a something that you could look forward to. 
There are a lot of critics and a lot of people who on social media bag the hell out of the level of and the standard of AFLW football. But I think people forget that a lot of these women who are playing didn't start at Auskick and go from, you know, five years of age all the way through to getting drafted like they do in the men's system. And now we are starting yep. to see this next generation and the next crop of women coming through who have played it from the very beginning. The standard is only going to get better. Oh, 100%. And you can you can even see the difference with the first season to now anyway. Um, just like the growth and the development of all the players. And, you know, in the first season, some of the players weren't traditionally AFL players either. You know, they'd come over from other sports and trained really hard and have gotten to the sort of standard that you do want to watch um, AFLW. And, I mean, it's, it's still a different game. It's still going to feel a bit different. Um, to the men's, you know, the men's games. But at the same time, I just think from a viewer point of view, even like the fathers, you know, that have had, that have been professional players and their daughters are AFLW players, they're not sitting there and critiquing them all the time. I can imagine on them not playing an amazing game. They're just sitting there and they're like, this is amazing. You know, you're playing for what, um, what footy is right now and what it looks like for women at the moment, it's only going to get better. Oh, 100%. And I think with the rise of the AFLW as well, we've also seen uh, an increase of women working in the media as well, um, which I think is really, really important. We've had some women uh, working on broadcasts and um, female journalists, sports journalists, you know, over the last few years, obviously, Caroline Wilson lays the trail in that Mm -hmm. regard as well. But especially with you coming on board now as as well, it's great to see more women in the sports media space as well when there hasn't been a traditional pathway for, for women. Oh, for sure. Like um, for me, the reason why I never overly looked when I was growing up thinking about a media career, like I, it didn't, I didn't have a second thought about it because I didn't see someone like me on a screen. So why would I go and think <laughs> that I would be that person that would be doing that, you know? And then when I look back and I'm like, wow, not only am I a woman on a screen, but I'm also a black woman and I'm also very young um, to be yep. in this industry because a lot of the time I don't see a lot of people around my age being in this space. And obviously that comes with criticism. It comes with some negativity that you might get. Um but at the same time, the more we're out here and the more we're doing what we're doing, the more we're going to see women coming and stepping up and being in these spaces. And not only that, but we're not a not seen as a pretty face anymore, you know. And I think that's refreshing because when I was younger, that's kind of what I associated a lot of it with. It was, oh, you know, um, she's in here so that they can show there's diversity, but a lot of the time you couldn't really know if they were the right person to be in that space or, yeah, there was just, it was different. The good thing now is that I I feel like there is less tokenism. It's still around, um, but at least, you you know, I know that I'm here because I'm the right person to be here um, regardless of the external factors. So it's that's kind of a really good feeling, um, I think. But in saying that, there's not many um, Aboriginal women in media. So um, that's just, yeah, something that I hope to see progress over the next couple of years. 
I think we all do, and the AFL General Manager of Inclusion and Social Policy is Tanya Hosh, and she's actually spoken about that recently, that there really is a need for more Indigenous voices when it comes to broadcasting the game. How do we get that? How do we get, you know, not just more Indigenous voices, but just more diverse voices? Because often you turn on the TV and it's just four middle-aged white blokes talking about footy. How do mm-hmm. we change this? What, what's the pathway? I don't think we have a lack of people that want to be in this space. I think sometimes it is a bit, it's it's scary thinking of coming into a space like this. I'm not going to lie, you know, before when I was offered yokai, that was a very big conversation I had to have with myself was am I ready to take on criticism within this space because regardless of the fact that, you know, um it, this will be an amazing, you know, show, platform, all of that sort of stuff. I'm still a woman within AFL and um, and commenting on AFL, which hasn't necessarily always been the case, you know. We haven't seen a, mm. a crazy amount and I think let alone being, you know, in an Indigenous space, um, the pathways I wouldn't say are very um, – they're not overly promoted. Like I don't think a lot of people, until they see it, I don't think they're going to uh, – I don't know. There's always that saying, if you see it, you can be it. Um, And if you don't see it, do it, you know. And I feel like in my case, it was kind of, if you don't see it, like, be it. So that's kind of where I'm at. And don't get me wrong, there has definitely been some incredible women that have held this space before. But it's just, I feel like with the introduction of seeing more women, more faces, more people are going to want to look at this as a pathway. Um, and I know that's happened with within my own community, you know, like little girls now seeing me on a on a screen um, and, you know, promoted through the AFL. That just shows them, oh, look at her. She's only, you know, X amount of years older than me. That's a potential pathway for me. Um, so I think that's kind of how we're doing it, uh, showing that, yeah, we've got people in here promoting the fact that that's, here and that we aren't tokens within the industry and that's very predominant you can show like I know I'm not within this space um and yeah I don't know it's it's definitely a really hard one to answer but we we're getting there it's just I yeah I want to know that young girls looking up can now see that this there's space for them and that it's achievable because you've done it. And that's why I think really you're so inspiring because you're just 24 and you've already achieved so much in a short amount of time and and being able to see you on Yokai and see what you're doing will definitely um, be an inspiration to other young Indigenous girls out there, which I think is fantastic. You, you spoke about the responsibility that you feel and and being ready and and having that discussion about being ready to face some of the criticism. Have you had much negativity and and criticism and how do you deal with that? Yes, um, I have. About a couple of weeks ago um, I did a monologue on, you know, changes within media that we want to see and, of course, it mentioned Sam Newman, um, Mm -hmm. which is is a a big name to try and – to try and tackle, you know, and, and everything. And of course I knew it was going to come with criticism, um, especially being a new voice within this industry. And he's been within it for a long time. Um, so in Too terms long. of, yes, yes. <laughs> in terms of respect, I feel like at that time he might've had it from some a little bit more than yeah. me. So that's okay. But 
Um, well, you know, when it went out on all the social um, platforms, I made a conscious choice not to look at any of the comments um, and I left that responsibility to my, you know, closest friends and family to provide me with whatever nice was kind of coming at me and if I needed to take any caution with anything else. Um, and I'm not going to lie, my family were actually really scared for me. Um, initially they were like, oh, I don't know if you should be you know, talking about this again. And, you know, it's very, you know, full on. And I think because obviously no matter what it's, I'm, I'm the, we want to be protected, you know, our our family and our friends are always going to want to protect us. Um, But in reality, I said to them, look, I could be a media for this year and this year only, or I could be in it for a lifetime. But what I want to do is make sure that I'm making these statements um, and being heard while I'm here, you know, and, and if yeah. I'm taking up space to genuinely utilize that space and not regret not speaking up, um, because there's so many times growing up that you might have would have wanted to say something back to someone that was a bullier or someone that, you know, might have said something not nice, but at times you just got to do it. And so, yeah, I ignored uh, seeing any of the comments, the only issue was I have no control over what people comment on my personal, on my um, Instagram, or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, or what they send me in um, in DMs or anything, I have no control over that. So um, I have seen some stuff, and it was pretty full on to see it. Um, but at the end of the day, I do sit and think, who are the people that I genuinely value there? Um, you know, responses from and support from. And that person wasn't one. He was a troll. And, you know, I deleted it and kind of moved on because you have a choice to address, especially when it's racism um, or, or sexism as well. Um, you have a choose, choice to address it or to leave it. And at that, that time, I was like, you know what, it's going to cause me more harm if I address this uh, because it will become bigger than what it needs to be. Um, and hopefully, he's just one voice that I don't have to hear um, and I can choose to switch off. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. <laughs> it is. I'm all flabbergasted because there is so much talk about not just racism but just trolling in general for all AFL players and within the media industry and, and wider than that because it's a huge social issue. Uh, and we heard on the weekend that Callan Ward uh, GWS or former GWS co-captain uh, was sent death threats after potentially yeah. milking a free kick against the Bombers on Friday night, which just blows my mind what goes through another human being's thought process that I am actually going to take the time to send this person a nasty message and, and a death threat. It just, I, I'm just shocked all the time. I know, I know, I shouldn't be because I work <laughs> yeah. in the space, but I just, I can't yeah. comprehend what actually goes through someone's mind when they think that that's okay to do. And I think the sad thing is, we'll never understand. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. Every time I see someone go out of their way to write a degrading comment or a racist comment um, on any of my platforms or anything that I've read or seen or even you know players. Um, I just sit there and I'm like, look, I will never understand what they're doing. But at the same time, obviously it's to bring, bring you down, you know, like when (laughs) it's, it's just to see if you're going to react, um, from it. And there's times where you most definitely need to stand up and say something. Um, but sometimes it gives that troll or person what they want is a reaction. 
Um, So I think a lot of the time you've got to be really like uh, calculated, really calculated moves of am I going to utilize this time to come back at this person or am I going to um, just keep moving forward? And I think, yeah, uh, I mean, the death threats and that stuff, even just like stuff to do with, yeah, tipping and, and everything, that's, I mean, it's someone's livelihood, you know, that's, Mm. It's their job, you know. It's just because they're on a national platform that you're watching them do their job um, that everyone feels like they've got some form of opinion on it. And it's like I know after a footy game for me, if I had not the greatest game or anything, I'm already in my own head, you know. I'm already getting annoyed at myself or or whatever for what I might not have done on a field or whatever. And then just to know that you've got all these other people feeling that they have access to that comment to you as well I just think yeah I don't know I mean you're only 24 do you do you think you're you have a pretty thick skin because I think when I started out um, in a media career it, it probably took me a few years to get used to the comments on social media uh, the negativity and those things and I think over the years I've developed a thicker skin do you think naturally in your personality you you are have a thicker skin and that you're you brush those things off easily to be honest, I think it's entrained in me. Like we speak about it, like from from a mob sense, like we always say that like, you know, well, I, I know I say that I'm standing on the shoulders of my ancestors and that they are the ones that, you know, from their resilience, I have it innately. Um, and so because us as a mob have been so resilient over the years and my parents, because I've grown up with very resilient parents, very quite young parents as well, um, and seeing that that's kind of what I've developed and you know I've experienced bullying and racism my whole life so um knowing that that was going to be a thing that I was going to have to take on in media um as much as you know you shouldn't have to accept it but I'm also at the point where I'm like well I'm going to get it um I'm gonna cop it and what I do with my energy is just going to have to I'm gonna have to choose what I'm doing with my energy and yeah, there's days where it definitely gets to you, you know, and just so much is going on. To be honest, this is probably one of the hardest years to initiate a media career. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, so I feel like if I can get through this year, while literally <laughs> all the eyes are watching entertainment at the moment, um, I'm pretty sure I'll be fine getting through the rest of them. But yeah, I think, yeah, I knew I was going to cop cop some stuff throughout this year and and I've definitely held it, but, you know, it doesn't stop. I'm still human. Like we all emotion, um, experience emotions and I just can't continue to let it let let it get me down, I guess. Black Lives Matter has been a, a big moment, movement, um, obviously starting in the US and then coming over to Australia as well. But we've also had lots of racial incidents in the AFL that have been called out by people. That's been happening a lot. I feel like... The Black Lives Matter movement is actually opening up the minds and the hearts of Australia, but there's still a long way to go, I think, as a a country to understanding the bullying, as you say, and the racism that Indigenous people have had to put up with for generations and generations. How do we learn Mm -hmm. as a country to do better and enact that change? Is it through education and properly learning about this country's history how do how do we tackle this I know and I know that's not an easy thing to answer but just I'm just really curious as to your perspective I guess on on this and and just how you know we can all learn from it 
Yeah, sure. I think um, from a first like kind of perspective, I think initially I feel like it's a shame that it it had to come from an American-led space. Like we have genuinely been protesting on this stuff for years and years and years and because it became international, that's when the conversation had opened. So I'm very grateful as well that because it came to an international platform that that dialogue did open up um, because it's not it's not a secret to know that um, that police brutality and being within the system has been going on for a long time just across the world. So um, I think it definitely did open up a dialogue and I feel like there has been a lot more voices be heard um, throughout this time and I feel like some people have taken it upon themselves to genuinely learn more when it comes to First Nations people here in Australia um, and understand what's happening in their own backyard and not just deflecting it to being like, yep. like we saw in the media with, you know, an Australian reporter saying, oh, well, it's really good for you to give me this insight because we don't see this in Australia. Um, that to me was probably the hardest mm. piece of content I had to hear and see because I was like, you're, you're talking about my life right now. Like it, the statistics are real and as much as I don't want to be known you know, for one specific thing, it's not, it hasn't changed, you know. Our people in Australia, First Nations people in Australia are the highest incarcerated in the world. Um, Our black men are more likely to go and be incarcerated than finish year 12. And it's just, that's, that's the statistics we're at right now. So I feel like people have opened up the curiosity a little bit more. Um, I have seen some symbolism and that's where I do get a little bit uh, you know, um, in the terms of like it, just seeing people making a change in their publications for a week to um, show that they're diversifying their voices when in reality they should be doing this and that should have changed that um, dialogue from once, a, once in the whole year to every week we are making sure that we're showcasing voices from all different people in all these different ways and um I just hope that from this, the learnings are we need to seek out more voices um, and the right voices as well. I think the biggest um, misconception is, especially from a media sense, um, some people think, oh, because they are an Indigenous person with a profile, they can comment on this specific um, issue, um, which not necessarily is always the case because we could have someone that is has a professional background in it, a histor- like whatever it is, but they might have a better opinion than someone with a profile and yeah. vice versa. And I just think um, that's where I have seen some mistakes um, within the last couple of months of just asking n- not necessarily wrong people, but at the same time, they if they had done a little bit more research and not just looked for profiles, they might have gotten the right, the better answers um, and a little bit more insight. Um and yeah, I think the other other thing is now, realistically, I would like this to be changed a little bit more in schools. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up knowing the um, European settlers side of the story mm-hmm. when it came to understanding Australian history, <laughs> um, and not and that it was very peaceful exchange, um, huh. and that there was no. Yeah, (laughs) that's literally all you get taught really. Um, Well, when I was at school, that was what I was taught. So I hope now that dialogue is opened up 
more within the school systems um, and universities as well. Um, I don't know about your background, but I know in my degrees I didn't do one subject in Indigenous, um, you know, a unit in Indigenous studies or anything like that, which I think is imperative to every um, degree um, because you're going to be working with First Nations people. And then, yeah, I mean, when you look at the fact that, you know, three in four Australians have a negative perception on Aboriginal, well, First Nations Australia, you can still tell that there is a lot that we need to do. Um, but I think it just comes down to researching your own and getting formulating your own opinion, listening to the voices that are out there. We've got so many now. Um, you know, there's podcasts everywhere. There's activists. There's so much that you can look at. Um, it takes as simple as a Google search these days. And then you've got all of these amazing people that you could um, – you know, read from and everything like that. So, yeah. Do you think, uh, and to your point about schooling, I mean, the only reason I have a better understanding of Australian history is because I chose to study <laughs> it in year 11 and 12. But yeah. prior to that, we did in year nine one term on the stolen generation. Um, but outside mm-hmm. of that, we always focused on you know, international history. So, you know, looking at other countries where I just think it's so important that we focus on Australia's history as a whole, good or bad. We just need to be aware of it. Do you think it's incumbent on, you know, Australians to actually go and ask these questions and do their own research? We should actually be, as a Mm. nation, really interested in finding out our own history. Or do you just think that maybe people put it in the too hard basket and well, we're, we're a bit ashamed and we're a bit we feel like it's awkward and a bit taboo to talk about yeah. so we might as well just not talk about it yeah I think it's it's so it's such an interesting um space to be in right because for me whenever I when I hear someone say oh well you know I was raised this way so you know this is my perspective and and everything like that um but you're a 30 year old individual that has most likely university qualifications, works in corporate Australia or whatever it is, um, has access and is very knowledgeable but chooses to push aside the fact that they don't know stuff about First Nations Australia or Australia's history with First Nations people because they weren't raised in an environment that taught them that. I always find that really interesting because I feel now a lot of, like, our generation has kind of um, called out their parents for those Um, having those thoughts now which is actually a really interesting shift Um, but the hardest thing for me as a you know as a First Nations woman is it's really difficult when I have to educate someone on these sort of on certain matters Um, because the hard thing is you know when I used to cop racism in school and I had people that would um you know, it was blatantly racist or um, subconsciously racist that have now changed their tone when it comes to me because of what I've been able to do outside of school. Um, And so they kind of set aside the fact that they were quite degrading to me back then. (laughs) And now they've like been able to learn some stuff and, and are now speaking up for it. And I think that's a good shift in change and stuff. But at the same time, you need to acknowledge your own biases and where you sit with it. And then seek the information and listen to the people when they've openly put it out there. I find it really difficult because 
especially being in this space now, I do get messages about trying people wanting to learn more about, um, you know, First Nations Australia and if I can help them in that. And in reality, it's not my responsibility um, to be teaching this. And so I think what we've tried to do is really empower people and put those resources out there. Um, There are people that will want to talk to you about it. Um, I'm not necessarily someone that wants to go through my own trauma in order to educate someone um, all the time. But, and it happens. Um, But yeah, I think that's, it's the, it's the sort of steps is to sit there, really acknowledge where you sit within this space and then taking those small steps to start to learn um, and, and try and change those biases and, and go from there because it's, yeah, it's not something that just happens overnight. Like, um, it is something that kind of just keeps going and going and, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's very difficult. If you, if you reach out to someone, uh, you might not always get the nicest response and that's purely because you're being, you're asking them to open their own trauma in order to educate, um, someone on their bias. And I think that's where it's really difficult, um, from my opinion, when I get asked stuff about, um, yeah, my history, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that does. That's a really interesting perspective and I've never actually thought about it in that way. So I'm glad that you uh, have been able to give us and, and the listeners that sort of insight. As an AFL industry, I thought we had learnt some lessons um, when it came to racism in sport. We look at what happened with Adam Goods and that systematic booing and there are people out there who say he wasn't yep. booed, you know, because <laughs> of the colour of his well, I think the fact that he was booed consistently for about three years uh, makes that a moot point completely. But I thought we'd come to a point where we had spoken about it so much and and that we had actually learnt a lesson and that maybe the tide was turning when it came to racism in sport. But I've been so disappointed this year with several incidents across social media. We just had one last week involving a North Melbourne player. Mm-hmm. Like, when is this? going to stop like did you actually think that things were changing with the Adam Goods um, situation and the coverage that that got and and now it's gone backwards a little bit again well you know what is so like interesting is I mean when Adam like when Adam was getting booed and it was getting like in the media like a lot of attention and stuff I think I was in grade 11 or 12 um and now, you know, this is my third year out of uni. I did a four-year degree. So it's been seven years since that incident happened. Um, and yet it's still happening throughout. And, like, I know it was happening before I was born, obviously. Um, and then, like, you know, with Nikki Wimmer is a prime yep. example of that happening. And although statements are made, uh, you still can't really control what fans are thinking and I mean, I have been very proud in the response of, you know, if it's something as simple as taking something that they love, like a a team membership away from them to understand consequences, I think that um, is something that is admirable. But it's just having conversations about these things, it's, yeah, it's stirred the conversation. I think people are becoming a little bit more aware, but there is still people that are going to have these biases. There's still people that are going to think in this way um and I don't think it's a reason to accept 
that this is going to continue to happen, but I, I'm very sceptical to think that it will change within my lifetime. I really, really, really hope it does, especially with why I'm in this space. I hope I really can change some perspectives, but at the end of the day, I can do what's true to me and what I believe in um, and hopefully be a representative of my family. But other than that, if people don't take something positive away from me or, or change their opinion, I can't change that for them. Um, but having more people like yourself, myself, like people that are a little bit more that are open-minded within these spaces, I think it will support that change. Um, and, yeah, to the men that have been copying a lot of racism in the last few weeks and months and years even, I think because media are paying a lot more attention to it, um, that's why people are hearing about it now um, yeah. because it's supposedly down, frowned upon now um, <laughs> within <laughs> media even though it's been happening for a long time <laughs> Yeah, um, and has happened on shows, you know. Uh, multiple shows have had access to these sort of beliefs and airtime. So maybe maybe people are just a little bit more aware and it's getting recorded now. So people are being held accountable. Yeah, I think certainly people are being held more accountable and and I think, you know, people are more willing now and are stronger in their own, I guess, voice to actually call it out because I think before people just turn a blind eye, you may not have agreed with it, but you just thought, "Oh, you shouldn't say that." But you you actually never called someone out whereas I I think now if you're at a game and you hear that kind of nonsense, you will actually stand up and call it out. I think a lot more people have more confidence in that regard. Look, it's been amazing talking to you. I I, I guess I kind of just want to we've covered a lot of different things, but I want to go back to just you know, why I got you on in the first place. And that is because I just think that you are such an inspiration at just 24 doing what you're doing. And I think if you have, do you have any advice for young women and young Indigenous people wanting to forge a career in the media now that they have someone to look up to and to aspire to because they see you on their screen? I mean, what advice would you have for someone who wants to forge a career in the media like you've done? Oh, it's so, it's such an interesting question um, because I think this industry genuinely could be for everyone. Um, it's just acknowledging what level of um, yourself you want to put out there is a big one and having those tough questions um, and asking that to yourself, is this a space I want to go into? And I don't think now anyone should hesitate if they're thinking of coming into this industry they shouldn't hesitate because, you know, I might cop something and they're like, oh, am I going to cop that? You know what? Go in, go be scared. Like be scared when you do it. I've always made a big thing growing up to um, say if I'm not scared, I don't care. And I just think, yeah, if, if you're going to come into it, into anything to do with having a public profile, ask those questions to yourself. But, man, don't like, don't, don't think you can't do it. Um, and, yeah, I want to see more of us lined up next beside each other and forging the way for the rest of Australia to be able to see us. That's awesome. You are fantastic. Keep being you and I really can't wait to see what's next in your career. For those, again, jump on Yokai Footy, jump on the bandwagon. It is a great show, NITV, Wednesday nights, 8 p.m., as well as on afl.com.au and the AFL Live at Banker. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. 
Bianca Hunt there on this week's episode of Her Story. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back again soon. In the meantime, check out our other episodes, subscribe to our podcast channel and follow us on Instagram at herstory underscore podcast.